Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at haciaworks.org. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and I am so freaking excited to tell you our guest this week is George R.R. R. Martin. This nerd probably needs no introduction, but just in case, the short version is he wrote a bunch of books that became an insanely popular HBO series that you probably have heard of. It's called Game of Thrones. He still has two more books in that series to write. He hasn't quite finished them yet. I'm sorry to say in this episode, we do not have like a publishing date for you, but we did have a really great conversation. We talked about how he manages fan expectations and the future of fantasy, and we talk about how writing those books is going. So without further ado, here's the interview. George R.R. Martin, perhaps one of the world's most famous nerds. Welcome to Nerdette. Well, thank you, and I'm I'm glad to be here. So, it's interesting that the word nerd has now become a, a good thing. Right? I'm so old, I remember when it was a bad thing, being I called bet. that in high school. Very traumatic. So yeah, how do you feel about it now? Do you kind of lean into it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> There's I'm, still I'm a always bit. interested in the definitions, you know. It, is a nerd different from a geek? And yeah. if so, uh, what is the precise differences. <laughs> I mean, the way we've always thought of nerd is like you can be a nerd about it doesn't really matter what the thing is. It's about how excited you are about it. Right. So that means you can be a nerd about anything. Like you could be a sci-fi fantasy nerd just as easily as you could be a Latin nerd or a knitting nerd or, you know, right. it's just NFL about what you love. Nerd. Exactly. Okay, cool. Exactly. Right. All right. So, you know, the, the door's wide That's open. Good. Anybody's welcome in the club. You I'll, know? I'll gladly embrace several varieties of nerds. <laughs> right. I figured you would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, seemed, it seemed accurate. We weren't. It's not too much of a stretch. <laughs> right. right. So my first question for you is just, you know, like, I know when I read a book that I really love, I find myself spending time there when I'm not even reading it. You know, I'll have that moment where I'm like, what do you think Harry and Hermione are up to right now? (laughs) And it had me wondering, as someone who created such a rich tapestry of a world, how much time do you spend in Westeros these days? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. That really varies, and it, it depends on uh, what I'm doing. But when I am actively writing, um, when it's really going well, and it doesn't always go well by any means, there are good days and bad days, there are good months and bad months, but when it's going well, I live in Westeros. I, I fall through the computer. I I wake up thinking of, you know, Tyrion and Arya and and uh or Aegon the Conqueror or whoever I'm writing about and uh I go to sleep at night thinking about them and when I'm driving around I think about them and it, it just fills my life. But in order to achieve this almost uh I don't know zen state of uh obsession, uh-huh. I have to push away real life. Uh-huh. There are other writers who uh, I know 
like write four pages a day. They write in hotels. They uh -huh. write on airplanes. They write everywhere. I've never been one of those writers. You I, need to I, completely I, I separate. Need, yeah, I need to be have the whole day just to write. Nothing else on my calendar. And it's a odd irony that uh, the the very success of Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire, the popularity of these books, has made it harder for me to write these books because the number of interruptions yeah, and distractions and other things have increased, uh, you know, doubled and tripled and increased tenfold and a hundredfold. Right, because uh, essentially what you're saying is when you spend days, you know, for example, doing interviews with nerdy podcasts, <laughs> that's right. you're not able to write. <laughs> that's right. I'm yeah. not writing today. I'm here in Chicago. Yeah. I'm, when I'm back home in Santa Fe, I, I will be pushing everything and, and writing, uh, yes. And I know some of my readers and uh, fans are, are very impatient about that. They wish <laughs> I was like the other writers who, you know, like Stephen King, who I talked to once on, on a, a show we did together about this very thing. Mm -hmm. And he's one of those guys who writes six pages a day. Come, yeah. come hell or high water or his cat just got run over or oh. whatever happens, Stephen King writes his six pages a day. I wish I could be like that, but yeah, sure. I can't. I can't. How are you managing fan expectations these days? I, I don't think I do manage them. What do you mean by that? I've learned to live with them. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, for most of my career, now, a lot of people just know me from A Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm -hmm. But uh, the first book of that came out in 1996. Well, I published my first story in 1971. So I was already a well-established author. I'd written a half yeah. dozen novels. I'd written 60, 70, 80 short stories. Um, I'd won awards. I was pretty well-established. Yeah. But in, in those days and in that stage of my career, I worked largely in anonymity. Uh, in fact, on many of my novels, I didn't even tell my agents that I was working on it. A lot of writers work on a basis of uh, uh, they write three sample chapters and an outline and they sell the book and then they're given a deadline for it. I never liked that model because – you know, I was never good with deadlines. Even <laughs> even when I was a student at Medill up here in in, in Evanston, the journalism I, graduate school. Yeah, deadlines I didn't take. You know, when they that's well, a Medill F there. Do too, you want to go into magazine or newspaper? You know, I yeah. said ah. Newspaper deadlines every day? No, I don't think I'll go for magazine. <laughs> give you a little more time. <laughs> Monthly magazine, you know, <laughs> give me a little time to finish the article. That would be better. So I never sold my novels that way. I would uh, start to work on a novel, and then when it was finished, I would call up my agent and say, Oh, look, I finished a novel. Here <laughs> You're it is. welcome. Please go sell it for me. <laughs> and they would. That's great. But when I, I started A Song of Ice and Fire, yeah. and the books came out, and they became increasingly popular, largely through word of mouth, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. each one doing better than the last and, and building up a certain amount of momentum. Suddenly, people began anticipating the next one. And for the yeah. first time, I got ripples of, uh, well, when is the next one coming out? Oh, why isn't it coming out this year? This other writer over here, he publishes a book every year. Yeah. And, well, I'm, I'm not that other writer. I'm, I'm, I've always been slow. Yeah. I mean, I have people who... who started 20 years after me who have like 40 novels in print and right, I have right. like 10. And it just increased as as the series became more and more popular. Of course. And I I had this not a blog, which I started, you know, I was like the last person in the world. I started blogging when everybody else had stopped blogging and switched <laughs> to Twitter. I'm always a little behind the curve here, you know. <laughs> um, 
and I tried to explain. I figured the fans would, well, I'm, I'm working on it, guys. Don't worry. It'll come out eventually. I thought that would do it, but it didn't do it. It was like, well, it did it for some people. I think mean, once again, you know, yeah, I get 100 people saying take as long as you want, no problem. But for some, it was just throwing gasoline on the fire. Well, that's yeah. not an explanation. What are you doing? Why are you, you should be home <laughs> writing, you know, why are you doing anything? And at a certain point, I I gave up trying to manage fan expectations. Yeah. I just said, well, you know, I'm writing it. It'll be done when it's done. Yeah. Um, I Some days I have good days and I write five, six pages. That's a great day for me. Some days I struggle and, you know, barely get half a page done. Some days I go in and I look at what I wrote last week and say, this is all terrible. And I rip it up and start it all over again. So that has me wondering, I mean, I think we're at such a fascinating time of fandom, right? I mean, speaking of nerdery, I think especially makers are facing so much pressure from their fans in a way that they didn't before simply because of the internet, right? It's like people can tweet at you all the time. right? And I wonder, like in some ways, I think that's a really beautiful thing. I think it's really exciting that... People love something enough to have that much passion and that many strong opinions about it. But I imagine for a guy like you, that can also be really frustrating. Yeah, it, it, it can be. I mean, I, I think like like most writers, and I think this is true of uh, the vast majority of writers and probably a lot of uh, artists of other sorts too, you know, um, we like praise and it, it, you know, we absorb it eerily like sponges, but in one sense, it slides <laughs> off off our back. And we hate criticism. So, uh -huh. you know, I, I can get a hundred good reviews and people saying, "Great, we love you. Go on." And, and you're then one think guy about who's snarking one. at me, and I'll yeah obsessed about that uh, yeah. that bad review. I call that or picking that a scab in my brain. Company. You know, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and you know. I admit to that, at least. There's a lot of writers who, oh, no, bad reviews don't bother me. Uh -huh. They're lying. <laughs> they does bother them. <laughs> I know their secrets behind closed doors. So, you know, there are good things about the internet, certainly. And, uh -huh. and like everybody else living in 21st century America, I'm, I'm addicted to it. But like many addictions, I don't think it's necessarily good for you. And there are, there are, what I think is really bad things about the internet. And I'm yeah. not just talking, let me make this very clear here because I've, I've given other interviews where I've made general statements about the internet and and then it gets picked up on, on sure. websites and made as if I'm talking directly about my fans or sponsors uh -huh. to uh -huh. Ice and Fire. I'm yeah. not. Yeah. I'm talking about... Just the way it is Everything generally. kind of discourse on the internet. There's, yeah. there's a horrible level of, of negativity and attacks, Twitter mobs and uh, abusive Threats language and, and, and yeah. things are so tall. And it's 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 empowered by the anonymity that people can be anonymous or people can hide behind some some false thing. And, and nobody would come up to you and say some of the things that people write on Twitter. They'd get punched in the nose mm -hmm. or they'd have to take responsibility for their comments. But it empowers cowardice. You can you can attack people. You can say horrible things. You, you can say racist things, misogynist things, whatever you want, uh, and, and hide behind some false name. And even if you get banned from Twitter, then you pop up the next day with another new pseudonym. Um, and also the whole structure of it, where how many characters is it, like 140? It used or to be 140. They expanded it now. It's too many. You can pretty much say whatever you want. 
<laughs> it, it, it's too many, maybe, but it's also not enough. I mean, that's I, very you know, true. I, my very main true. vehicle for interacting with the internet is still my blog. For the most part, when I post there, I post long things that you know, if written on a typewriter or thing, would be three, four pages of thoughts, or at least a page, several paragraphs. I develop arguments, I make jokes, I do things, and and I, I can't talk in. 140 character bursts here. Yeah. I mean, real discussion, any kind of meaningful dialogue between human beings is more nuanced than that. And there should be some give and take, and you should be able to make kind of fairly structured and complicated arguments or discussions. And uh, the internet takes that away from us. Yeah. I like to say uh, the odds of you actually being able to change somebody's mind on Twitter and Facebook are just like non-existent. You know, like that's where people go to double down on whatever right. preconceived notions they have. And there's not a lot of wiggle room around that. After the break, George reminds us of something that's kind of obvious, but also surprising, which is the fact that the HBO series wasn't actually always a sure thing. I remember sitting around with them and saying, well, I hope we get at least three seasons because we re- we really want to do the Red Wedding. That, that'll that be, you know, an enormous thing. I hope we get at least that far. And he names his favorite characters from Game of Thrones. You're listening to Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So you mentioned upcoming HBO shows. I'm really curious to chat with you a little bit about what you see as the future of the genre of sci-fi and fantasy, because... I know I've been very excited even just over the last couple of years about all the new stuff that's been coming out from folks like N.K. Jemison and Nettie Okorafor. And, you know, like there's some good stuff where you can tell these people grew up on the canon and are just like totally blowing it up in terms of their imagination and excitement. And I think it's really exciting. And I'm curious kind of what your take on that is, too. Yeah, I'm I'm. Very pleased and proud of the success that Game of Thrones has achieved. People ask me um, if I expected it, and you know that's no. Of course, I didn't expect it. How could you expect it? You know, when you start a book, you hope that it'll sell well. You maybe even dare dream that it'll be a bestseller and appear on the list. When you start a TV show, you hope it will get. First of all, you hope it'll get on the air, right? Because I've I've been in this business a long time. Many shows don't get on the air. You you write a pilot script, they never make it, or they make the pilot, but they decide not to do the series. Well, and it's so, so funny looking always, at it. You're always from worried the it won't side. get that far. Yeah. I, and I, when we started Game of Thrones, I, David uh, Benioff and Dan Weiss, the showrunners, and I, I remember sitting around with them and saying, "Well, I hope we get at least three seasons because we re- we really want to do the Red Wedding. That that'll be <laughs> you know an enormous thing. I hope we get at least that far." And, of course, we got a lot further than that. Yeah, you did. It built and built. And one of the things 
besides the individual success that the show has had and the impact it has had on my life, one of the things that I'm proudest about is the effect that it's had on fantasy. Because before Game of Thrones, if television did fantasy at all, they and, and I was connected with some of the earlier fantasy shows, but they would put it on at 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. 7 central, um, <laughs> you know, that, which was called the family hour back in the 80s and 90s. And uh-huh. you couldn't do anything too controversial or adult there, nothing too upset. Oh, small kids might be watching. Fantasy was considered a children's literature. Right. And there's nothing wrong with children's literature. I of grew course. up reading the Heinlein juveniles and, and um, you know, I've read The Hobbit. And, you know, when you're a child, you read children's books. But I think fantasy can be more than that. And with HBO, with Game of Thrones, we showed something that readers had known for decades because fantasy books, fantasy books written for adults – had been on the bestseller list for for 20, 30 years. Yeah, the real nerds knew. Right, right. (laughs) Well, what's happened now, the enormous success of Game of Thrones has opened the floodgates. And right now, virtually every major fantasy – is being developed by someone or other around the world. I mean, Amazon has uh, both a, a Tolkien show going and they're developing Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time. That's shooting right now in mm-hmm. Prague. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is working with Patrick Rothfuss to do the King Killer Chronicles. Uh-huh. I, I love Patrick Rothfuss because he's the only fantasy author slower than I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That book has been long awaited, the third um, one of that trilogy. And, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I could go on and on. There's many others. Mm-hmm. Um, His Dark Materials starts in just a couple And weeks. I'm working at HBO on another Roger Zelazny project, and I'm working with Chicago's own Nettie Okorafor yes. on Who Fears Death, her Afrofuturism uh, science fiction fantasy book. Um, all of these different people, Amazon, Netflix, Epics, Stars, the list goes on and on. They're all looking for the next Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And the question is, what will happen? Now, I think if one or two of these shows succeed, maybe not succeed on a Game of Thrones level, but succeed in that, oh, they have a nice five-year run on television, mm-hmm. they get decent ratings, maybe they win a few Emmys or something like that. If one or two of them succeed, television will be transformed. Then I think fantasy will become a genre of television, just like cop shows and lawyer shows. I mean, I you, love know, that. You, never, you never see, oh, a cop show? We already have a cop show. We can't do that. It's always, oh, a cop show. Yeah, we'll put on another cop show. Um, and as a fantasy reader, someone who has read many of these works and loves these works, that's the outcome I would like to see. The danger, of course, is that if the, all of these shows fail for one reason or another, then I think television – which is run by success, will back off from fantasy and say, oh, no, Game of Thrones was a a freakish, one-at-a-time occurrence, and it can't be duplicated, so we we won't do it anymore. And obviously, I don't want that to happen. So speaking of the HBO show, do you have a favorite character that was brought to life through the show? Oh, it's hard to pick one. I, I mean, know, uh, they're, they're, they're all, all my great. children. You know, do you yeah. have a favorite child? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Tyrion Lannister is certainly yeah. a character that I've always loved. I mean, writing well, about. and Peter Dinklage just did Peter such Dinklage an amazing, amazing job. He's, he's won four Emmys himself as best supporting yeah. actor. He's great. 
But also the the kids were were marvelous. God, I yeah. mean, Macy Williams as as Arya and Sophie Turner as Sansa and uh, Isaac as Bran. Um, they were incredible. Yeah, and even more so because they came out of uh, nowhere. I mean, Nina Gold, our casting director found them doing like school plays and, <laughs> and uh, you know uh, we had people coming right out of drama school like uh, um, John Bradley West who played Samuel Tarley uh-huh. um, and Amelia to, to a degree Amelia Clark yep. she, she had done very Daenerys. little before that uh-huh. you know one kind of iffy horror movie and <laughs> one uh, commercial uh, for women's shelters and really very little on film Kit Harrington was uh, doing uh, War Horse on the West End, mm-hmm. uh, but really didn't have a lot of uh, film or television experience. So yeah. we were we were introducing a lot of new actors, and I think they've all acquitted themselves. They marvelously. have. They have. I think Brienne of Tarth is probably my favorite. Gwendolyn Christie. She is. <laughs> she is amazing. She is amazing. Well, George R. R. Martin, thank you so much for chatting with me. It was really a pleasure talking with oh, you. Oh, my pleasure. It's fun. It's fun. How great was George? Wasn't he just like delightful? You know, what's extra delightful is this other thing that I talked him into saying. Hi, I'm George R. R. Martin, and you should listen to Nerdette Recaps his Dark Materials, with Peter Sagel. That's right, y'all. If you enjoy Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagel, you might also like Nerdette Recaps His Dark Materials with Peter Sagel. We're still with Peter. We're going to recap His Dark Materials. It airs Monday nights on HBO starting this coming Monday. That means our recaps episodes will come out the following Tuesday afternoon. Obviously, we think it would be awesome if you watched the show along with us. There's also a whole bunch of books that the show is based on that are excellent. You don't have to do either of those things. If you just want to hang out with me and Peter and Trisha Bobita, just make sure that you are subscribed to Nerdette Recaps His Dark Materials with Peter Sagal. It's a really great acronym. It's N-R-H-D-M-W-P-S. So easy. So simple. No vowels. I don't know why. That does mean that Nerdette proper is going to be taking a break while we do those recaps so you can catch us on the other feed. And of course, keep in touch with us by signing up for the newsletter too. I put all kinds of great stuff in there. You can sign up for it at wbez.org slash Nerdette AF. The show is produced by me, Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our co-creator is Trisha Bobita, and our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. Nerdette is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. Go watch that weird show with us. Hopefully it's good. I have no idea. But I bet it's going to be good. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.